0: grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our sermon series, our our sermon theme this summer. Uh, We started out in the book of Galatians and we moved over to the Gospel of Luke and uh, we're looking at those key narratives, key teachings, the great stories of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've gone from the Good Samaritan, love thy neighbor as thyself, to Mary and Martha and Jesus and the whole thing about sitting at the feet of Jesus. And uh, we've gone into, last week, the Lord's Prayer. And we talked about our Heavenly Father and how much He loves us, how much He wants us to go to Him in prayer and the identity we have as children of the Heavenly Father. That's kind of going to fall over into a little bit about what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the parable of the rich fool, And I've been thinking about this parable for a while lately, and I've preached on it before six years ago. Do you guys remember that sermon? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't remember it either. And uh, so hopefully we can revisit a bit and kind of let Jesus speak to us this morning uh, what he would have us to learn this morning from the parable of the rich fool. So as I was thinking about this, anyway, the other day on Friday, I was over at a, a local church, my daughter's friend's church. They have VBS during this past week, and so uh, they like to go to each other's VBSs at each other's churches, and I'd love for them to do that, to see what other churches are doing and that there are all these other Christians out there, and we're all doing the same thing, trying to bring Jesus and trying to reach the lost with the gospel. And anyway, over there, they were having their closing chapel, and they invited the parents to come to that. And so I went over there on Friday, uh, you know, late morning to, to watch the chapel and to worship with the kids. And they started to talk about the service project they were doing uh, that week. And they were trying to uh, work toward eradicating uh, dirty water, to everybody could have clean water in the world. And so their goal was to raise $5,000 in order to help contribute to a building a well in a small little village in Africa that has no clean water. Their goal was $5,000, and the kids raised almost $11,000. And we were sitting around, and the parents were gathered around the outskirts of this church, and the ministry leaders were just filled with awe, humbled at what these kids were doing, at their generosity. And we loved to see it. We loved to see that our kids were not thinking about themselves. They were thinking about others. They were empathizing with others, and not only empathizing, but doing something about it. We do the same thing here at VBS too. We do the same thing in our children's uh, church, in our children's chapel with the school. Last year, our VBS kids adopted a child at GraceWorks in Kenya. This year, our VBS kids, I was so proud of them. Uh, they took on a cause. One of our members, a young member who's second grader going into third grader, just a little young boy, he has some very serious health problems. He's one of our family, one of the St. John's family. And so the kids at VBS, they decided they're going to help contribute. He needs a service dog, and the service dog cost like $15,000. They raised almost 5000 and then other members and other uh, members of the family and other members of St. John's contributed, and they're almost up to $11,000 now. They're almost there to buy that dog for one of our members who needs it. Because we're so proud of uh, our St. John's kids, our VBS kids. We're so proud of them when they reach out and, and they think about others. Now, I was thinking about that. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, we all want our kids to be generous, don't we? We don't want them to be takers. We want them to be givers, whether it's for a well in Africa or adopting a, an orphan through GraceWorks or whether it's helping out one of our own members, our own family of the faith here at St. John's. We want our children to be givers. We want them to share. That's what we talk about sharing Christ with our words, service, and, and resources, We want them to think of others, not only themselves. But why do we want that? We want that because we want their hearts to be in the right place. We don't want our children to be self-centered and turned on themselves. We don't want them to have hoarding hearts. We want our children to have generous hearts. And when we see their generosity, we're proud at what they're becoming, the type of human being, the type of life that they're living. Last week, we spent some time in the Lord's Prayer. We talked about our dad. We talked about our heavenly father, that he's the number one dad in the universe, that he's a good father. And just like we want our kids to be generous, he, our heavenly father, he wants his kids to be generous. He wants you and me. He doesn't want our hearts to be hoarding. He wants our hearts to give and to empathize and to act. And the more I thought about it, I was thinking about it just the past week. At the end of the day, Just like our kids. When our kids are generous, they're actually really being generous with our money, right? We're the ones that put it in the bank accounts. We're the ones that give it to them. They're being generous with our money, and we have no problem with that. When we're generous, we're also generous with our dad's money. And our dad is loaded, my friends. He has so much. One of our members told me once, he said, I can never outgive God. I can never outgive our dad. I keep giving, and he just gives more. In Psalm 50, it talks about this. It says that our Heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 24, the psalmist puts it this way. He, verse 1, he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in." Our dad's pockets are deep. And he's totally cool with us being generous with his resources. That's the kind of attitude that Jesus is trying to cultivate in the parable today, and I think a little bit more. So let's jump into the parable in Luke chapter 12, this parable of the rich fool, and see what Jesus would have us learn today. It starts with this opening dialogue that Jesus is having with this brother who's mad at his brother, and it's an inheritance conflict. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13 says this. Someone in the crowd, so he's in this crowd, he's teaching everybody. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher is rabbi. And rabbis in those days, they were expected to know the law and to make legal rulings. But Jesus, he says, I'm not going to go along with that game. And you notice the brother, he says, tell my brother. So he wasn't seeking advice. He had already made up his mind. And he wanted to use Jesus to endorse his will. You ever done that before in your life? You make up your mind, and then you want Jesus to put his stamp on it before even going to ask, asking him. Most likely, this guy and his brother, they were at odds. They were in conflict with each other. There was, there, was a, there was a struggle in the relationship, in the family. And he wanted that land divided. And so in those days, actually, the rabbis taught that only one brother had to want it, and it should be it should, the land should be divided, but the Romans had a different policy. The governor, the governing authority at the time, said, "No, both brothers have to rule on it." So there's this sort of cultural conflict going on. What should we do? And so this man wants to go to Jesus. He wants to go to this rabbi, this teacher. He wants Jesus to give him justice. Now, throughout the scriptures, the importance of of justice is all over the place. God wants justice. Yet this brother seems to be concerned only with his rights, not necessarily with, his, with justice. And while he may be right, maybe his cause is just, Jesus is saying, I want you to look at it in a little different perspective. There's already a broken relationship here and I don't want to hurt it even further. And so in 14, he says this, Jesus replied, he said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Who appointed me a divider between you. It's a play on the on the words and the original language there and as Jesus is kind of saying, I didn't come to divide. I came to bring peace and unity and to reconcile you. Jesus is challenging this brother to get a little different perspective, maybe going beyond his rights. Jesus, not, he's not showing indifference to justice, but he's pushing the brother, and maybe he's pushing us this morning to see that sometimes in life, we have to go beyond justice and see a bigger perspective. We have to see that there might be more at situation in this sta- at stake in this situation than monetary gain. Maybe he's pointing to relationships or faith or family or unity or mercy, forgiveness, sacrifice. And So in verse 15, Jesus extends it out to everyone, and he says this, Then he said to them, the crowd, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life, life, the quality of life, really living. It does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is warning the crowd, and he's not standing as a judge between the brothers. He's now standing over all of them, and he's warning them. he's saying, this desire, this greed, this covetousness that you have, this greed you have for material things, it's unquenchable. And you will never find good life, quality life, by accumulating more and more stuff. And so then he illustrates it in a parable. Verse 16, he says this. So he told them this story, this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So this guy, he's already rich. He's loaded. And then on top of that, he gets a huge bonus. He gets a bumper crop. He's been given riches beyond riches. And in verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He thought to himself. He debated within his own mind. He didn't think, man, I'm already rich. I don't need this surplus. I don't need this extra wealth. This extra wealth is a gift from God. He didn't think that way. He said, these are my crops, not God's. I don't have any place to store my crops. His only concern is where can he put those crops for his own benefit? One of our ancient uh, fathers in the faith, St. Ambrose, said this, He said, this man didn't realize that there was ample storage all around him in the mouths of the poor and the needy. That aligns well with St. Paul. St. Paul says, we as Christians, we're to work. And we're to work for two reasons. We're to work so not to be a burden to others. So that means we can have our own jobs and our own homes and our own cars and provide food for our family and even give an inheritance to our children and to our grandchildren. That is a righteous cause. But he also says, we as Christians are to work so that we can give generously to those who are in need. That's at this point that the parable starts to turn, starts to be focusing on us, and we start to say, well, what does this have to say about me? Am I rich? Do I have surplus in my life? And if I have surplus, what am I going to do with it? I'd argue that all of us in the room this morning, we have probably far more surplus than we imagine and think. What could we do with it? I hope you ask that question. I hope you ask that question not only in your mind, but out loud with your family, with your loved ones, in your life group. It's a relevant question for us, not only in our small little groups, but also us as a church, us. You see, the man in the text, the parable of the rich fool, he only struggled within himself. He didn't pray to God. He didn't go and ask the wise elders or other Christian believers or those who are strong in the faith. He didn't talk about it out loud and discern it with the community thought about it. He debated about it in his own mind. And that's when we see that the parable is teaching us far more than money and generosity and financial resources. The parable is teaching us about discernment. It's teaching us how do we make decisions in our lives. And it's teaching us that there is a place for community. And we see that the rich fool has none of that in his life. He's trying to figure it out himself. He's not going to God. He's not going to God's people. Have you ever done that in your life before? I know I have. I have a decision before me. I think about it over and over and over, and I make a decision. I don't go to God. I don't go to his people. And whenever that happens, I, I usually end up in a pitiful mess of a place. And we see that in this rich fool's life. In verse 18, it says this. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus gain. I, me, my, I, me, my, I, me, my, the whole time. He's talking about himself. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry and party on, man, right? He says, I will say to myself. The rich man sits alone in his accomplishments. He thinks only about food. He thinks about drink. He thinks about enjoying himself and not having to work for it. Does that sound familiar? America has sort of embraced that ideal. Great food, great drink, feeling good, and not having to work for it. More fast, easy, fun. More fast, easy, fun. Dr. David Walsh has said that that is a recurring narrative being played out in our society today, in Hollywood, in the media, in our culture, more fast, easy fun, and our kids are drinking the Kool-Aid. And we, as adults, are sipping on it too. How many times have we bought into the lie? How many times have we bought into the lie that the goal of life, the goal of life is retirement? Now, I'm not saying retirement is a bad thing, but it's not the goal of life. Our goal in life is not to save up enough money so that we can retire, then eat well, drink well, travel, be happy, and not have to work. Retirement is not a bad thing, but that is not our life. That is not the abundant life. It's not the goal of why we exist as human beings. It's not what it means to truly live. And for the rich man, the only thing that mattered to him was his own comfort. He had no other goals. He had no other aspirations beyond himself. And so Jesus continues in verse 20. But God said to him, he said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, will be required you. That's the word that's being used, that the loan is coming due. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Your life is going to be demanded from you. In that verse, we begin to think about our own lives and our own resources and how do we view the resources and the stuff that God has given to us? Do we view it as ours or do we view it as God's? And then we look at our own very life, our own existence. Do we view it as our life or do we look at it as God's life? Psalm 24 verse 1 comes back to my mind. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. The rich fool is lonely and friendless, and in the midst of that wealth, God thunders in. He says, look what you've done to yourself. You think alone, you plan alone, you build alone, and now you're going to die alone. And it's at this point we see that this narrative, this story, it started out with brotherly rivalry and an inheritance, and it moves over to this rich man story. But as you move along into the story, you start to forget about them. We don't see the rich man responding. We don't see the brothers responding. We don't know how it ends out, and we're not even really thinking about that. We're starting to struggle with these implications for our own lives and our own families and our own church. And Jesus chimes in in verse 21. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. We're left with questions unanswered, questions that we have to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, do I serve myself more than I serve God? We have to ask ourselves, is there an injustice in my life that has consumed me? And all I'm saying is, God, give me justice. But perhaps Jesus is saying to you this morning, take a step back. See a bigger perspective, maybe a liberating one. Maybe go beyond justice to mercy and to love and to forgiveness and to sacrifice. Or maybe the question we should be asking this morning is, how do I make decisions in my life? Do I do it alone and think about it? Or do I talk about it out loud with God and pray to him and and go to God's people and go to wise Christian friends and counselors and ask them, what should I do here? And together we discern the will of God. And the other question is, has God blessed me with surplus? Am I rich? And if I am rich, how will I use that rich surplus toward God and to his purpose, and to his mission. I hope, and I think Jesus intends for us to go home and wrestle with these things this week. I hope you'll wrestle with this parable. Bring the bulletin home. Open your scriptures. Bring it up on the app. Read it over and over again. Ask the question, am I rich? What sort of surplus do I have in my life? And I think, friends, that question really gets at it. You begin to see that we are all brothers and sisters. We talked about it last week. We are children of the Heavenly Father. And as children of the Heavenly Father, we have an inheritance. And no matter how many siblings we add to the family, every one of us gets 100% of the inheritance. That's how God does math. His economy is different than ours. The more and more people we add, everyone gets 100% of the inheritance. And we give it because he generously gave his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose for us, who gave us a spot as sons and daughters in the kingdom, in the family. We are eternally secure. My friends, that is a huge surplus. On top of that surplus, God even heaps up things in our lives here and now. He gives us each day our daily bread. He gives us cars and homes and houses and clothes and food and bank accounts and investments. He gives us toys. He gives us fun stuff. He gives us passions. He gives us giftedness. He gives us all sorts of surplus in our lives. He gives us experiences. He gives us knowledge. He gives us influence and jobs and skills. He blesses us. Financially, materially, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, we have surplus in our lives. Where are we going to store it? Where will we store the surplus God has given us so that we can be rich toward him, toward his people? I hope that you'll go home this week and in your life and in your family, maybe in your life group, maybe in the relationships you have with key people. I hope that you'll pray about this, you'll think about this, and I hope that you'll say things like this We're going to give to our church for the first time. We've never given. We're going to do it. We're going to start giving regularly. We're going to tithe. We're going to go beyond the tithe. We're going to give to the school endowment. We're going to preserve the blessing. We're going to set up a scholarship fund. Or maybe your family will have conversations like this We're going to adopt a baby. Maybe you'll say, We're going to become foster parents. Maybe you say, We're going to adopt a child through Graceworks. Maybe you say, We're going to go serve at Love Santa Ana or the Compton Initiative or foster camp or the Mexico Mission Trip or Project 23 or the Street Fair Water Outreach. Maybe as a family, maybe with your life group, maybe with your friends, you say, We're going to listen more. We're going to think through this clearly as the body of Christ, talk it out loud, pray and seek guidance. Maybe you'll say, we're going to build a well in Africa. Maybe you'll say, we're going to help buy a service dog for little Zach, our little brother in Christ who needs our help. We are the body of Christ. We have and we are a surplus. Let's be rich toward God and toward his people. We want that for our kids, don't we? And our Heavenly Father wants that for His kids. You and me. Amen? Amen. Amen.